The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, and thanks for listening. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. If you want to help healthcare be more about consumers and innovation, this is the place for you. We're going to help you find your place in the digital transformation movement, and you are going to be one of the ones leading meaningful change. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast in neutral. We're hitting the gas. Each week, we speak with leaders who are part of the digital transformation movement. We share tips on shifting the way that healthcare is experienced digitally and the backstage strategies for marketing, operations, and digital teams to stay ahead of the curve. This is episode number 150. Can you believe it? We're now in season five, which is our quest to answer whether it's even possible to provide the healthcare experience that consumers desire. There's a lot of work to do, so it's time to get fired up. Now, before we launch this rocket ship into orbit, I want to give a quick shout out to the crew at Jennings Healthcare Marketing and their video series on the Shift.Health content network called Marketing for Better Health. It's a greatest hits collection of videos by Dan Dunlop that provide tips for post-pandemic planning, addressing consumer fears, using effective content marketing to improve community health, and so much more. The first two seasons are available on demand at Shift.Health, so go check it out for free. Again, it's called Marketing for Better Health. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about the journey that these first 150 steps have taken. What's the higher vision for the digital transformation of healthcare and what's your place? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I are going to dive into the challenging step of how to implement all those awesome digital health solutions. And finally, Ben Tingey joins the conversation to give us the lowdown on how to choose whether to build, buy, or partner to make those solutions happen. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. It has taken 150 baby steps to bring us here. Where will we go next? For all of you healthcare innovators and digital teams, we support you. Through these first 150 episodes, this podcast has always been for you and about you. It's a journey that we've gone on together one episode, one step at a time. Our goal with each step is to share some provocative thinking that leads you to take that next step on your own. Every single episode makes our vision clearer, and that's important because we need to see the higher vision of what we are here to do. So hear me when I say this. The higher vision for healthcare business, innovation, marketing, communications, and technology teams is to use our collective knowledge of healthcare consumers and their digital behavior to connect them with the care, the answers, and the human touch that will make healthcare a better experience for them. We all need that reminder sometimes because being in healthcare these days is like trying to refabricate a Toyota into a Tesla while driving it in ludicrous mode. And there are no lane markers. 
and the road keeps changing directions, and the Tesla's on fire. That can make it easy to lose sight of our place in the digital transformation. But you have a place in that transformation if you choose to, and you better decide quickly because the transformation is accelerating. What is our place in bringing about transformation? It's simple. We're the builders of the future of healthcare. Stick with us on this journey and we're going to keep discovering amazing things together just as we've been doing step by step. Being a part of the digital transformation movement means seeing this higher vision of what's possible in your day-to-day work. Be a part of it. We need you. Be an agent of change. Again, we're establishing a bold new vision for business, innovation, marketing, communications, and technology teams. And if you couldn't tell from the healthcare wrap, meaning the first 60 seconds of this podcast each week, we can't do it in silos. That's the old playbook, and it's time we threw that out permanently. Opportunity is knocking. You, me, we have the chance to make sustainable careers out of what's next. Succeeding today means collaborating with other business centers to build experiences that none of us can create on our own. Time has proven that. If you want to accelerate the transformation of healthcare and help create the digital consumer experience that happens outside the clinic, I invite you to join the movement. Stay engaged. Be a part of this bold new vision. If you want healthcare to stay the same, keep doing things the same way. If, on the other hand, you feel compelled to be a part of something bigger and you yearn to accelerate the transformation of healthcare, come and be a part of it. Join the digital transformation movement and see where our next 150 steps will take us. And that's the Flava of the Week. All right, Zane's here back in the house with me. Uh, how you doing, man? Doing good, Jared. How are things with you? Oh, just trying to, uh, you know, uh, keep an eye on all the crazy things going on in this world, but uh, still focusing on the positives and good. enjoying just, you know, what comes along. Good, good. I've been reading in the southern states. Some of y'all are out of power, but you're good in Arizona, right? We are. I have a, a lot of family and friends, though, in Texas, and so I definitely feel for them. I've, I've lived in Texas uh, more than any other state in my life, so feel for them. I hope everyone's doing okay there. Uh, a lot of them are still without power, though. It's insane. We're good here in Detroit and over in Windsor. I think we're part of a separate power grid, so fingers crossed. Yes, hopefully we never have to figure out how strong either of those grids actually are. You know, hopefully you don't have to worry about it. Right, right. Well, let's see. Uh, for my goodness, uh, it, it's been a bit since you and I chatted. I, I can share the latest awesome thing that, that I've come across, though, lately. Please, I'd love to hear about it. It's a new book called The Practice. It's by Seth Godin. And it's ah, nice. the subtitle is Shipping Creative Work. It's I, I want to say it came out in the fall. It may, okay. maybe, maybe a little earlier last year, but I, I think I first heard about it in the fall. Finally got around to, to checking it out. This book's great so far. It talks about... Uh, not just art or music or, you know, actual creative work, but it, it actually kind of draws parallels to to everything. Basically, anyone who creates anything, that could be a business plan. It could be nonprofit work, but he's trying to get us comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable, meaning that hey, the, when the results of something that we're working on are not guaranteed, it doesn't mean that that thing is not worth doing. And whether he calls it art, you know, or, or creative work, that's kind of the part that's really interesting to me is that he's saying there is 
he didn't tie any of it to COVID, but it's apropos right now because everyone's uncomfortable not sure, knowing sure. we can't use the past to predict the future anymore. So sure, sure. what do we do? And he's talking about like, well, the journey itself of shipping that work and then learning from it, being being comfortable with the fact that the results aren't guaranteed, but there is a framework, like a pattern to get better at what we're doing. And so I'm loving it so far. Absolutely. Actually, Seth is one of my favorite authors. I haven't picked up that book yet. Um, but one of my favorite books by him, which I recommend to a lot of people, is called Lynchpin. And so basically how to more or less how to be remarkable. And the premise of the book is how to stay creative and stay innovative and engaged like we are. And we often talk about in healthcare, but how to do that, but also still deliver impact in in organizations that are very traditional. And, you know, he uses the term like just a cog in the wheel and how do you not become that and how you can still accomplish things within these huge systems that are big and bureaucratic. And so between that book and his book, um, Purple Cow, How to Be Remarkable, um, he's always just been someone that's been super inspiring to me. And so I'm definitely going to have to pick up that book too. And I highly recommend all of our listeners um, read his stuff. Yeah, a thousand percent. I'd add tribes to that list. I'd add this is marketing to that list. Yeah. It's great stuff. Great stuff. Cool. So we'll uh, we'll continue the book club conversation next time. (laughs) And today we're going to talk about building, buying, or partnering. So this this is the key question that comes up a lot. When we're talking about reimagining the healthcare experience, a lot of times we end up on a digital health solution. Mm -hmm. We feel good about what that roadmap is leading us to. And then we have to turn to, well, how do we execute this thing? Yes. We've, we've identified the solution and now it's time to execute it. And what are, our, what are our options for doing that? And that usually leads us to one of those three things, to build the solution internally, to buy something off the shelf or to partner with somebody and, and kind of build it together. And those are interesting options that sound so simple, Zane. And yet uh, <laughs> here we are. I would say there's an inordinate amount of time spent on that decision that maybe we don't talk about enough. And it's going to lead us to a couple of places. But first and foremost, what do you think the status quo is right now? Like, what do we tend to do most often in this situation when we're deciding how to execute the solution? Sure. So most most health systems that I'm aware of, both in Canada and here in the United States, generally try first to build. That's what I've seen, especially, you know, maybe about five years ago too, people were still very much in the build space. And usually that would end up in a failure of some sort or just realizing that whatever digital tool or capability that they were building was just not best in class and wasn't meeting the need or the cost of doing that and maintaining that capability was just too high. So it eventually turns into then seeking a partnership, but really it's not a true partnership. It just turns into a buy. And so usually then health systems, you know, jettison what they've been working on and seek an external vendor to provide whichever capability they needed. And then, you know, enter into a you know, pretty traditional vendor health system contract in relationship. That's what I would say is the current status quo. Yeah, I would echo that too. I, that has definitely been my experience as well in terms of the the go-to way. And then we have to kind of talk ourselves out of it either, either at some point on the journey or once it's happened and we're like, yeah, actually that didn't work. Yeah, uh, but understanding it one, one way or the other. I, I think that when we, I, I guess a lot of times I would see the questions that were asked at that point in the process didn't necessarily lead us to the right place. Sometimes didn't know how to go deep into the integrations enough. 
it would, it would end up with, oh yeah, we have an API for that. And we'd be like, oh, cool. Uh, and we wouldn't yeah. like dig any further <laughs> beyond that when we really should have. Yes. Yeah. Or realizing that they're like maybe just selling you vaporware or selling you a capability that was coming, but it doesn't currently exist. For example, the API. And then even back on the build side, what I've noticed is there's a lot of ego and humanity in some of those discussions. And I think it's very difficult for healthcare leaders, especially like medical leaders who are potentially physicians or nurses who want to help and believe in their education and believe in their clinical accomplishments feel like they should then just be able to invent the next digital capability. But as you know, usually they're woefully unprepared to do so and to follow that to the end. And so again, the build discussion often leads to, wow, we should have never did this. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, egos definitely play a part of that. I mean, who wants to say, no, we can't do that. Exactly. Exactly. And it's hard. I mean, it's tough for systems to say that, like it's tough for CEOs to stand in front of their board and say, you know what, we don't have the expertise to do that. We've just contracted with XYZ vendor. And especially on the clinical side, it's not that these folks are doing it to, you know, beat their own chest. They generally believe that they can and should be the ones directly helping their patients. It's a heart thing, not a head thing. Um, But unfortunately, like they don't always have the right skills and the right expertise to do it really, really well. And so eventually it fails. Right. So so we talked about build, we talked about buy, and then partnering. When that does happen, typically, what, what do you see in terms of how that relationship works? Like, is it really still, hey, we, we really did want to build this ourselves. And maybe if we try to reverse engineer what you do enough, then, then we can just end our relationship. I hope it's not like that. But sometimes I wonder if why a partnership actually happens and, and when a health system is led in that direction, if they have the best things in mind. Yeah, I mean, partnership's an interesting one um, because usually it implies that the health system is providing some level of intellectual property to potentially help shape the future of whatever that product or capability is. So I see this a lot with like earlier stage companies, digital companies. So maybe they're somewhat of a startup or maybe they've not yet landed a client and they're reaching out to a health system to potentially be their first one. This is where I really see those partnerships coming in. Also, partnership might imply, you know, a lot of vendors I've worked with use the term partnership to imply that they're one of those vendors who are, you know, very flexible and willing to just build what you need, not necessarily sell what they already have produced. But still, some of these things can go south because unless you really have a team that can sort of like lock arms with that vendor and that digital solution provider forever, or at least for the length of the partnership, things go south pretty quick because there's not usually great integration. The vendor isn't always fully aware of all the areas that they need to be aligning to and connecting with. Or frankly, they just lose, they just lose the right visibility in the system from, you know, key decision makers and stakeholders. And before you know it, that vendor is seen as someone that's no longer needed. And sometimes the partnerships end. And so one thing that I've seen as best practice is both in Canada and the US, health systems creating almost like partnership teams whose job it is, similar to like how outside of an organ, outside of healthcare, you have a mergers and acquisition team where their sole responsibility is to like hug each other. So like hug, you know, between the health system and the vendor partner and stay locked together to ensure that there's constant communication, constant call it value share and value flow between both organizations so that we're always surfacing the needs of each side and I guess like constantly communicating. 
to make sure that we're getting everything out of each other that we possibly can within the like that contract. So let's go down that road a little bit more, a little further, because as we talk about opportunities to innovate here, this idea is really, uh, really interesting. When you talk about base, this is almost the thought of, of an internal partnership. So somebody who's there to point you to the right people. I mean, so what could this look like then if we're reimagining kind of what this type of partnership could be? Yeah, so to me, these teams would be so, you know, most health systems, most larger ones have a business development team that works on like high, high level partnerships. And really their scope is from sort of ideation around a partnership all the way to signing the agreement. And that's their job. You know, they run the numbers, they calculate the ROI, they see if it's a good decision for the health system, go ahead with this, yes or no. But after that yes or no decision is made, it's similar to the conversation we had about innovation institutes and integrating with operations. What then happens after it's decided that we're going ahead with this partner or this innovation? There needs to be a team who's almost shepherding, or you, or I think we see this a lot, the term innovation Sherpa being the Sherpa guiding that partner to the fullest integration as possible between the health system and the vendor. And so similar to how you think about care navigators, you all, I would argue there's probably a huge need in health systems for these partnership navigators, and increasingly so as healthcare becomes more commoditized and more and more vendors, if you will, enter the space to deliver the more highly commoditized portions of healthcare that traditionally health systems delivered. This concept is really interesting to me. I think you'd need a couple of things for it to work. Uh, you would mm-hmm. need you would need a mindset shift. You would yes. need folks to say from the very beginning, okay, look, we're going into the size wide open and we know that we can't just give you the name of one contact in the organization and expect that to be successful for this partnership because you're going to need at least like eight to 10 key stakeholders. And within them, you might not always reach them. There might be 20 other stakeholders below them. So let's get you connected with them right off the bat. Let's get you connected with the right people. Let's establish a cadence for communications. Like let's not assume that communications happens. Let's not assume that we're all aligned from the beginning. Let's focus on some shared goals right off the bat. And then by doing that, now you know now we have a plan to navigate you through this. I love the thought of care navigators. Yes. Well, in, in a great... And this might be spilling too much of the tea, but a great way to think about this is who are the people within your your legacy health system that this vendor is potentially disrupting? And those would be the top people that I would want to put on my list to make sure that that vendor or that partner is being introduced to and we're working towards peace. So a great example would be, let's say, are you familiar with 98.6? They do like online primary care, Mm -hmm. very fancy app. And so let's pretend that a health system partnered with them. I would imagine that health system's primary care leadership would have some issues because that product or that service could potentially be seen as competitive to their own internal product. And so what you need to do is work with that team right away to make sure that the existing team doesn't become silent or overt saboteurs and make sure that we can find a way to get these teams working together so that, for example, in the case of 98.6, both the traditional primary care team and now the 98.6 digital primary care group are actually working together and see, see themselves as complementary towards the overall mission of the health system and not competitive. Yeah, we never have to worry about that in the real world because <laughs> right. they're, they're never competitive. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, you know, in my experience, again, working in systems in Canada, the US, those conversations happen behind closed doors where we we hate on, you know, the partners that, you know, the, the up and up executives have brought in and whether we admit it or not, we try to find ways to s- uh, sabotage them in, in their effort when really we need to come together. 
We can imagine what type of world. I, I, I like this conversation because we are we are reimagining a something that happens behind closed doors. Like you said, something that's under the surface, but we've all either been witness to it or been part of it in terms of uh, seeing it happen and and not being too surprised when something doesn't work out. And so, Absolutely. you know, if, if this leads us to a better place of ultimately having an experience that is improved for the patient, heaven forbid, like that's our North star and all of right. this. I mean, that's, what's crazy. That's what gets lost in all of this. Absolutely. And I also think it's important to have somebody call it in that partnerships team who can sort of bring, be the cultural ambassador and so like answer questions with the partner around, you know, what are the words, what are the codes, what are the behaviors that this institution uses and is common? And how do you do like the translating between both, right? Because a lot of these partners, these digital partners are usually coming from a startup mode. They're young, they're, they move quick, they're flashy. And as you know, Jared, that style doesn't always lend it well to traditional healthcare. And so there needs this team needs to be very diplomatic and almost work as the United Nations to communicate across cultures and communicate through language barriers. Even though we're both speaking English, probably there's words and codes that we use that often separate us because we don't understand what they mean or don't understand their implication. There's a ton of those. You know, we could probably spend a whole episode just talking about those examples. I mean, these are all important parts of the formula. It's not a roadmap. It's not a playbook, but, right. but there's a formula, like there's a pattern. And if we just recognize that these are the things, these are the likely outcomes. If we don't address a couple of things at the beginning of this process, no doubt things will be improved. No doubt. That's what we see from health systems that are winning, that they are at least addressing those things. I don't know if anyone has a corner on the market and doing it perfectly, but if we're addressing some of those things head on, it's just like with any cultural or other operational issue. If we at least go in and say like, Hey, this is something we're going to keep our eye on. These are, these are things that tend to happen that sidetrack this whole thing. But look, we all want this thing to succeed. Absolutely. Let's figure out how to do that. Absolutely. Well, awesome. So Let's see. So what would our call to action be here then in terms of a, a quick, you know, a, a simple tactic, just a little tactical step that, that leaders could be working on to, to be going down this road? You know what I would do? And maybe this is too tactical, but there is a lot of thought leadership out there on mergers and acquisitions and why they fail and why they succeed. And a lot of it gets back to this human side that we just discussed. So I would encourage leaders who are thinking about upping their partnership acumen to like spend some time on Google Scholar or seek out business cases. There are many of them at some of the big business schools um, in the world, and many of them are free. And read up on what are the characteristics of successful mergers and acquisitions, which will marry onto this discussion. And keep those at the forefront of your head in decision-making when navigating these discussions. Right on. Well, and I would add to that, I would say actually explore this whole concept that you've been putting out there, this this thought of these internal partners, whether we call them yeah, innovative innovation Sherpas, I love that, but this mm-hmm. internal care navigator model mm-hmm. and be aware that it's needed, whether you call it something formal like that or it becomes part of, you can have a committee doing it, but ex- start, start exploring that, like recognize that that is part of the formula for solutions to work, for us to advance with everything that is being reimagined with digital health. Like there's a lot of help that's needed after the decision. So, so 
Cause there's so many vendors, so little time Expecting me to know them all is practically a crime But it's what my job's about, yeah. it makes me wanna shout yeah. I need some help designing who to use without a doubt Something everyone wants, like a secret decoder Something everyone needs, like your own baby Yoda Help me to choose, I can't afford to lose Isn't there a website that I really ought to use? Martech.health, Martech.health Do yourself a favor, check it out for yourself Need to find a vendor? This is the way Martech.health, who you gonna pick today? Martech.health is the vendor directory built specifically for healthcare marketing, communications, and digital professionals. People like you. Founded and run by the OG himself, Healthcare Internet Hall of Famer Ed Bennett. It's designed to make your next vendor selection process less painful. And here's why. Over 600 vendors across 40 industry categories, verified vendor reviews and ratings from your peers, a resource library of articles, videos, and events. Plus, an anonymous messaging tool to get your vendor questions answered without worrying about endless callbacks. All of this is free to use and share. Check it out at martech.health. All right, let's get deeper into the flow here. We've got Ben Tingey in the house. Ben is the innovation manager with Atrium Health, and he's host of A Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. It's a great podcast about healthcare innovation, digital health, human-centered design, and, and lots more. Ben, welcome to the Healthcare Wrap. Thanks so much, Jared and Zane. Great to be here. Thanks for being here, Ben. How is it sitting on the other side of the microphone? Ah, it's uh, it feels a little strange, but uh, I guess a podcast is a podcast. But uh, I'm excited to be talking with both of you. This is this is going to be a fun conversation. I think just from the pre-show, just when we were chatting right then, it's there, there's no there's no scarcity of awesome things that are going on right now. But let let's give us a, a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, why don't you tell us about the latest awesome thing that you've heard about? I've been on this track of uh, studying behavioral economics. We've had a few mm. of our podcast guests talk about that. And I've really been getting into this idea of something called behavior nudges. And it, it started this past summer. I was at Stanford D School and, and I kind of hatched this idea. And then I found this startup company that was doing something really similar. And this startup company has been blowing my mind. It's a company called Humu, H-U-M-U. And it was started by Laszlo Bach, who was the former chief people officer at Google. He was the one that led the teams when they did all that research on psychological safety and, and all that stuff. And this idea of behavior nudges is what is the minimal behavior change we can make that will result in the highest marginal impact? Oh, wow. And uh, so it's this really cool idea of, of you know thinking about it potentially from a leadership development standpoint, or if you're trying to inculcate more innovation behaviors, it's like what small thing could people change that will result in the biggest outcome. And uh, to go along with that, there's this great book that came out recently called Eat, Sleep, Innovate, which is uh, it came out of a group from Innosite, which is this consulting firm. It's all about fostering innovation behaviors in large organizations. And they talk about behavior nudges as well. So I've, I've been geeking out about that lately. Well, you know, you might also enjoy a, a connection. I need, I need to connect you with Karen Horgan. She's with a group called Aval, a V-A-L, uh, Health Behavioral Economics, and uh, had her as a guest on the Paradigm Shift Healthcare podcast. Cool. And uh, yeah, like my mind was blown. Like she was talking all about like just the last mile of healthcare. That's what they described it as, like just being laser focused on how do you, she may have used that term behavior nudges. Now, as you say that, now I want to go back and, and listen. It was it was a few months ago, but yeah, I love that. That's a, that's a great field to be talking about. Yeah. You need to get the book. Are there any nudges, Ben, that you've worked or implemented into your life since studying that? 
Uh, good question. So um, <laughs> I'm actually prototyping some behavior nudges for some of our physician leaders in the organization, particularly those who have just got into more administrative positions. So we're, we're prototyping some things still super early on, but really, really fun stuff to work on. Very cool. When we think about from the health system side, I, I'm really curious and really uh, glad to have your perspective here today because there's a lot of talk about strategic partnerships. And when we talk about all the digital health needs that we have now in health systems, we all know that there are, there are a lot and they grow by the day. So that old question of, do we build it? Do we buy it? Do we partner with somebody to provide that thing? It sounds like there's a lot of evolution there happening. And I want to hand it off to Zane at one point to be able to talk about with you, you know, what the opportunities are to innovate this, but let's start with kind of the, the challenge itself, like what the status quo is here. So when we're talking about digital health needs and we, again, we're taught, we go through that, that whole thought process of how do we do this? How do we accomplish this? Once we finally gotten the business case done and we're like, yeah, that's an important thing. That's something the health system needs. Like that's only the beginning of the conversation. And from what I understand from where you feel about this, there's some evolution in terms of how you approach it. So what historically has been the, the status quo of how health systems even approach digital health? That's a great question. I'd like to maybe narrow the focus just a little bit to digital health specifically in the area of what we like to call primary and on-demand care, just, mm. just so for that's the conversation, helpful. I think that'll help for me. And, and that's also an area where I've done more research and, and so I can speak to it with a little bit more <laughs> certainty. So I'd say historically, the status quo has been that most healthcare systems have either built or bought their primary non-demand care assets, either through acquiring uh, primary care practices or building their own urgent care centers or freestanding emergency departments or employer clinics, or, or even some, you know, years ago, some of the initial work done on, on some virtual platforms or maybe some chronic disease platforms that were done through maybe uh, their primary care medical group. That's typically been the paradigm that, uh, you know, health systems haven't really been afraid of some of these startup companies because they're getting birthed way out in a place called Silicon Valley and, sure. and you know, healthcare is local. They're not going to be here anytime soon. And, and we've got time to strengthen our position in the market before anyone arrives. But in the last few years, and then certainly with COVID, we've seen a massive acceleration of the trend towards virtual services and healthcare in many ways is still local, but I'm, I'm seeing the primary non-demand care market becoming much less local. You can get a lot of incredible services virtually now mm -hmm. um, from anywhere, from any company, not even you know located in your local geography. And so I'm unsure that health systems will be able to keep pace with demand. And what I mean by demand, it's not just from an access standpoint, but also what consumers demand from an experience standpoint. I know that's something you guys talk a lot about on this podcast. And just some quick facts I wanted to touch on. 2020 was the biggest year in digital health funding ever. Rock Health recently came out with their year-end report and they reported something like 14 billion in digital health. And then if you add also any of the finance, you know, debt financing or public market financing that some of the companies got in 2020, it's more like 22 billion, which is just a crazy amount of money wow, being invested wow. in these, uh, in these startups. And I just don't see 
health systems across America spending $22 billion on new and better primary and on-demand care services. I don't know that that health systems have that capital, especially now with you know getting squeezed with COVID. Mm. And I think some of these other startups are, are just scaling a little bit too quickly for health systems to catch up. I think we're a little bit on our heels. There are some examples of health systems buying some of these startups. Like a few years ago, uh, Peace Health out in the Northwest, they bought Zoom a few years ago. And there, there are certainly examples of health systems trying to build their own models. Like Spectrum had a practice called Strive that they were trying to grow and scale. I mean, Atrium Health, we had our own called Proactive Health. But anyway, so you know, historically, it, it's been kind of a build or buy type of paradigm, you know, especially if you're wanting to get faster to market and all of that. But I worry that that ship has sailed in a lot of markets and it's just uh, the threshold is just too high now to warrant spending the type of money that would be needed to get, achieve the same objective. I like what you're saying there, Ben. And you know, one thing I'd add that I've seen on my end is as traditional healthcare providers through this pandemic you know, and hospital systems have been focused on managing the pandemic, the inpatient crisis, the surges. It's almost allowed these startups, you know, that are focusing more on the primary care and virtual health space to run ahead. You can only have so much executive attention on big projects. And as, as you know, uh, managing the immediate uh, healthcare crisis has been the focus of most incumbents in the industry. And so they're, in, in my view, not in addition to the investment, there's also been sort of like this, this this time that these startups have had just to run ahead because traditional health systems were, in my view, didn't have a whole lot of time to make decisions or a lot of focus. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, when you think about this in terms of what's keeping things from from changing or improving, I do like the thought of just things evolving. Like you said, like the way that things are going now, with investments, uh, that's that's fascinating to me because I think health systems don't necessarily, again, just maybe just ones then ones that I'm familiar with, they don't tend to think that way, and and it seems like they need to. I mean, it seems like they they need to understand. That there's got to be some point where it seems like everyone is just where we want to get out from under the pandemic where we are trying to start running ahead. We are starting to to want to say, okay, can we just focus on something else other than the, <laughs> the, the day-to-day operations of the last 12 months, 12, 14 months? And God bless everyone you know, who's been involved in those efforts. I mean, Zane's sitting here and has been involved with the vaccine efforts at, at Henry Ford for, man, like this, this whole time. So... I don't know, uh, Zane, when you even get sleep right now, but like there's, I can only imagine, you know, how, how much you guys are just like dying to, to yeah, let's, let's focus on something else right now. And so, hey, what can that cool thing be? And so I'm hoping that's not the the thing that's drawing us to to try to innovate. You know, innovation still needs to come from the right place here. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Certainly needs to come from what the consumer is demanding and, uh, and not just what we think might be <laughs> flashy, or exciting. It's got to be something that helps them make their make their desired progress. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing too, and I know we talked a little bit about it in the pre-show, Ben, is a lot of these startups not only can attract call it the financial capital, but it, I'm also seeing that they're able to attract the human capital. Yeah. And incumbent healthcare providers are having trouble, especially maintaining people like yourself who are young and brilliant and potentially millennial or Gen Z. And that's going to be a problem too. 
So even if you could get the money, can you attract the talent that has the skill set and acumen to build out, you know, whichever tools you're pursuing? Yeah, the, the skills needed to run and scale a startup are very unique and, and not often found in, in a legacy health system just because, I mean, the name itself, legacy, I mean, the hospitals have been around for decades and the operations of a hospital are very different from a startup company. And so the schools of experience needed to be successful in doing that is, is just a little different. But, but I still think there's hope because I think there's still win-win opportunities where you know, health systems can focus on their strengths and let the startups focus on their strengths. And so I think there's real opportunity there for, yeah, for I like innovation. That. Well, why don't we talk about that then? So where are opportunities and that health systems can innovate in the space to either you know, become a better partner or, be, or, or find a better process to make the decision on whether we build or buy? Yeah. And this is where I'm, I'm really encouraged. I, I don't want the, what I've said previously to be a downer to health systems. And I just think we need to be realistic about what has happened in the market. And I feel like when it comes to the opportunity for partnerships, I think it's best for the consumer to pursue partnerships with these companies as long as the health system can integrate the experience that startup provides in other areas of the healthcare system. Because uh, the, the consumer expectation is going to be that if I'm getting this great experience from a one medical primary care experience and I get referred to specialists or I have some type of procedure, I'm hoping for that same experience throughout all of my healthcare journey, not just in that primary care space. And so I think the value that health systems bring is the continuum, is the clinical assets that we have from birth to death that you know, health systems maybe have more modular solutions where they're serving maybe just one or two jobs to be done. Whereas a health system, especially those that are, you know, full continuum providers are serving so many different kinds that they can create this sort of interdependent system that pulls in these modular pieces and then integrates them across the uh, the whole healthcare journey. And so I think there's lots of opportunity. I would provide some caution though. I, I think I wouldn't rule out entirely acquisition as a strategy. Sure. I think there there may be opportunities that, that exist that uh, are, are unique. And if a health system has the type of capital and, and desires that speed to market, it could be a really great opportunity. But my my one caution is how you integrate that startup company into your operations is going to make or break it. And when I say integrate, I actually mean don't integrate it at all. <laughs> if you acquire one of these companies and you want it to continue scaling and growing at the pace that it was, don't smother it. Don't try to integrate everything into the way that you operate. The reason that that startup was so successful is because it had a different business model. And so don't kill the goose that laid the golden egg by trying to reforge it in your own image, let it be kind of a separate organization and let it do its own thing and make sure that it's aligned with your strategic interests, but let sure. it grow on the side and um, kind of keep it at arm's length. And that'd be my one, my one uh, caution do, for if you do pursue an acquisition strategy. Have you seen that done well somewhere or have some like very practical tips on how one might accomplish that? I know... Mm. 
legacy providers are pretty bureaucratic. And so talking about you know how they might potentially change their leadership structure or which major forms have can be a significant challenge. But curious if you've seen anyone do it well. I don't have a lot of examples come to mind in the healthcare industry. Certainly, I think in, in other industries, there would be more prevalent. I and The thing is, I, I hope my comments aren't perceived as like a knock on healthcare leadership because that's certainly not it. It's really just the realities of two very different business models. Sure, sure. And the way that a business model is organized is designed to provide the outcomes it is designed for. And, Absolutely. And so the way that one business model operates and the way that another one operates, both can be good at achieving their outcomes. But if you combine them and mix them too much, the, mm-hmm. the unique processes and priorities and value propositions are just going to get mixed up and messy and it's going to dilute the power of one or the other. So I guess that kind of moves us on to the call to action. Like, therefore, what should we do? And if building and buying if the threshold is much higher for pursuing those strategies and partnerships is is maybe a better avenue than than what should you do what i think about is how can we as healthcare system leaders make us the most attractive partner mm-hmm. to those companies and what i don't mean is you know don't concede too much don't don't have it be a race to the bottom as you're negotiating with these companies, it's it's not about that. Rather, be so good they can't ignore you. Especially if you're a health system in kind of a crowded market and there are other competitors that you have, like how can you demonstrate to them that you are the most attractive partner that makes the most sense to their consumers to be the one that will provide the best downstream consumer experience that will be consistent and integrated what could you change about your decision-making process or, or how do you shorten the sales cycle? How do you integrate better along the value chain? How do you maybe have a team that could Sherpa the startups through some of the bureaucracy of your organization? I think all of those things. It's a great a, recommendation. Yeah. From a startup company perspective, like if they're looking at two organizations and one has those resources and another doesn't, the the likelihood of them wanting to connect with you is that much higher. And question for you. So going back to sort of like the human side of all this, you know, one thing I've noticed is, you know, some call them more seasoned executive leaders sometimes struggle having conversations with call it younger companies, less mature companies. And there's almost like a, a language that some of these startups use to talk about their business. There's a certain flashiness to it. Is there anywhere that more traditional healthcare leaders could go to get, I don't know if it's like a school on how to talk design, how to talk startup, but to learn the language and understand sort of the landscape of new, largely digital business models? Hmm, That's a great question. Maybe it's something we need to build. Yeah. Uh, Rock Health is a great place to start. Hmm. They have incredible resources. Their newsletter is probably my all-time favorite. I read that one religiously. And they do a great job of keeping things short and concise, but also teaching the lingo as they go. I mean, there are plenty of books books out there and podcasts and things. You know, certainly listen to this podcast or, or to mine, to A Sherpa's Got an Innovation. I, I mean, both of us, I think, touch on a lot of those topics. Yeah, I can't tell you how many meetings I've been to where I feel like I can sense almost from like a heart space that we're talking about the same thing, but we're using different terms. And sometimes that creates a little friction. And then 
I don't know if you you know this, Ben, but I'm actually Canadian, and this list hope some of our listenership increasingly is from Canada, and so we also spend a little bit of time talking about um, the innovation space over in Canada, and certainly Canadians when they try to come to the U.S. with healthcare startups or so on and so forth certainly have their own language as well, and so. I guess it's been something that's been on my list and Jared's list to solve for is like, how do we, from a cultural perspective, get everyone talking the same language so that we can drive towards these partnerships that you're talking about and, and so eloquently outlaid for us? Yeah, well, I loved, uh, you know, reimagining how we reimagine things. You know, when, we, uh, when, when we get to the bottom of it all, uh, Ben, you've given us so much to think about here. I love these conversations. I mean, our goal is just to provide a little bit of provocative thinking for the innovators out there and digital teams and, and those who really can step right in, plug right in and, and start leading things in, in this direction. So I'm grateful for, uh, for you giving us a few minutes. All you listeners out there, if you are not yet, you need to subscribe to A Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. It's, it's great stuff. Absolutely. Uh, ben has that out uh, all the time. It's all over the place. So, Ben, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes. Stay safe, stay well, and uh, best of luck with all you have going on. Thank you so much, Jared Zane. This was a lot of fun. And uh, wish you guys the best with your podcast and highly recommend it as well. Thanks again to Zane and Ben. And thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, please, 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 this is so important. Please subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health content network. Go check it out at Shift.Health. It's podcasts and video series about shifting the way the healthcare is experienced. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. 